Well, as I mentioned earlier, and as you can see in your bulletin, we're turning now back to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament for our sermon text. Just to get our bearings here, remember our theme in this sermon series is what I'm calling the habits of grace, the Christian life that we're called to live. It is a life of experiencing the grace of God, and we do so, we experience that grace as He is pleased to smile upon our own regular, our own habitual efforts to seek and serve Him. This is a life that has its habits, its disciplines, its rhythms, the habits of grace. And lately in our sermon series, we're focusing on the elements of worship that make up the church service on Sunday mornings. What exactly is it that we do as a matter of habit, as a matter of routine, between 9 a.m. and roughly 10.20 on Sunday mornings? And lately, the particular habit that we've been focusing on has been the weekly administration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We talked about the fact that it's the church's habit to have the supper Sunday after Sunday. And then what we talked about last week is what ought to be your habits as a Christian in the worship service during those moments when the supper is being served. How should you spend that time? What sorts of things should you be thinking and praying about during those moments in the service when the supper's served? Above all, what you're thinking and praying about is the fact that Jesus died and Christian, he died for you. So that's what we've been talking about lately. We've spent several weeks now on the Lord's Supper. And that brings us to what we're going to talk about this morning, which is the benediction. As I've mentioned before, we've been making our way through the worship service roughly in order as things happen in the worship service to reflect upon them and to consider again why these are our habits and how we ought to make good use of them. So one of the last things that happens in the worship service is the pronouncement of the benediction, a word of blessing. Well, one of the best-known benedictions in the whole of the Bible comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, and so I thought we would turn there today. So let me read it for us. It's printed there in your bulletin. You can follow along there if you'd like. Or you can turn there in your Bible if you prefer. Numbers chapter 6, beginning at verse 22. Hear now the word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you are such a God as that, a God who places your name on your people and promises 
to bless them, promises to bless us, and you follow through on that promise. And indeed, we take you up on that promise right now in prayer. We are a people who bear your name. We are those whom you've promised to bless. So would you bless us now by helping us in these moments to understand your word and to love it so that we go forth living like it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I've mentioned before that there are several passages in Scripture that whenever I read them or hear them read, they have the effect of bringing to my mind, my mind's ear, choral arrangements that I've sung in the past. I can hear them. There are several passages in the Bible like that, and this is one of them. If you've ever sung in a choir yourself for any length of time, it's not not at all unlikely that at some point you've sung an arrangement of this passage in Scripture in Numbers 6. It is a choral favorite. My high school choir, we sang this text as a signature piece, and we weren't alone. If you haven't sung it yourself, you may very well have heard it sung at some point in a concert. And that's a testimony to the fact that there is just something about this passage. This Bible passage arrests us. And I'd say it does that both because of its content, in other words, what's in it, but also because of its context. In other words, where we find it. The content, what's in it, these are words that resonate within our souls. There is something here that touches in beautiful language the deepest longings of our souls, the content. But then also the context, these words, these beautiful, lofty, soaring words seem to come out of nowhere right here in Numbers chapter 6. I mean, think about where we are in the Old Testament when we read this passage. The people of Israel got to Mount Sinai all the way back in the book of Exodus, roughly halfway through that book. And they don't leave Mount Sinai until a few chapters after this in Numbers 10. And so everything in between, after they get to the mountain, the rest of the book of Exodus, the whole book of Leviticus, and the opening chapters in Numbers, all of that is a record of what happened and what was revealed at Mount Sinai. And friends, we can be honest, large portions of that whole section are not exactly gripping drama. Large portions of that long section strike us as rather foreign to our 21st century sensibilities, including the opening chapters in the book of Numbers. So you're reading along, chapters 1 through 5, and and you start reading into chapter 6, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, chapter 6, beginning at verse 22, these words that practically leap off the page 
into your heart like they were written this morning. So for that reason as well, not just what's in this passage, but where we find it, it has this effect of practically reaching off the page and grabbing you and grabbing your attention so that you lean in and listen. This is sometimes referred to as the Aaronic benediction. And to be clear, that's not ironic benediction. Aaronic, A-A-R-O-N-I-C, referring to the fact that it was given, as we just heard, to Aaron and his sons to pronounce, and that's because Aaron and his sons were the priestly line in the people of Israel. So they were to pronounce a benediction, which was, even then and still is, to speak a word of blessing over a particular person or group of people. It's to, to wish them well in some formal way. And that's not just in the Bible. That's a fairly common aspect of human experience. I think we can say especially Irish human experience. And it's a lot of fun just to Google Irish blessings. I'll spare you my Irish accent, for which my family will be quite grateful. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. It's hard to read this without an Irish accent. But may the sun shine warm upon your face and rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. I like this one too. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. Or may the saddest day of your future be no worse than the happiest day of your past. That's one you've got to read like three times to make sure you followed it. And not only are there blessings, but we can be aware of this, not just in the Bible, but in human experience, there are curses, which is the flip, which is in some formal way to wish others ill. Here's a memorable one. May those who love us, love us. And those that don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so that we will know them by their limping. I say that one's memorable for me because, not making this up, the best man in my wedding at our reception had everybody raise a glass and that was his toast cursing others at our reception. Memorable indeed. And I remind him of that often. So we we get this, right? We get the idea of curses, but also more happily, we get the idea of blessings. But it's one thing for an Irishman to wish his friend well. It's one thing for a best man to get up at a wedding reception and raise his glass and give a toast. It is a very different thing when the blessing, when the benediction comes from God himself. And it is spoken ultimately by God over his own redeemed people. In that case, the wishing well comes with an authority and a certainty that no mere human word could ever have. 
So, for example, if you go back even further in the Old Testament to the very first book, the book of Genesis, and you have patriarchs like Isaac and Jacob blessing their sons, it is very clear in those stories that those are not mere human words. Obviously, they're words that are spoken by these human beings. But they are prophetic words. They're words from God about what he intends to do and how he intends to keep his covenant promise. So it's like that when Isaac and Jacob bless their sons. And it's very much like that here in number six. So yes, it's true. Mere men are supposed to say these things, Aaron and his son. But ultimately, it's the Lord himself. It's not Aaron who's giving the blessing. It's the Lord himself who pronounces the benediction over his own people through these words spoken by his servant. And that comes through crystal clear if you just look at this text. So what I want to do now is just walk through it. Take a look at it again there in your bulletin or in your Bible. Let's just walk through it and see again what's here. And right out of the gate, this is clearly a divine word. Aaron isn't going to make this up. Moses isn't going to make this up. What does it say in verse 22? The Lord spoke to Moses, saying. So right from the outset, it's clear this is a word that's coming from God. The Lord spoke. And then we're told the Lord spoke to Moses. Moses being the great prophet of God, well, this is how it worked. Moses gets a word from God, and then it's his responsibility to pass it on accordingly. And sure enough, what do we read next in verse 23? Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them. So it's quite a chain that's unfolding here. The Lord speaks to Moses and tells Moses what he's supposed to say to Aaron And what what he's supposed to say to Aaron is what Aaron is supposed to speak over the people. Lord, Moses, Aaron, people. That's the, the chain of communication, as it were. And what follows then is the benediction. So look at verse 24. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. In other words, may he grant you what you need what you long for, what you delight in. May may he provide for you. May all of that come true for you. The Lord bless you. And then what comes next? The Lord bless you and keep you. The implication being, and that wasn't just true then, it's still true today, that God's people need to be kept. We need to be guarded inwardly. We're prone to wander. That's still true of us. And outwardly, there are threats to body and soul. Well then, the Lord keep you in a world like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. It keeps going. Look at verse 25. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And that is surely 
one of the most beautiful images or expressions in the whole of the Bible for what it is that we most deeply need and long for. May the Lord himself make his face to shine upon you. An image of what it means for God to show his favor. The shining brightness of his face as he looks upon you with his love. Charles Spurgeon called this the divine smile. The divine smile. And because it is so beautiful and and evocative, well, no wonder this image shows up all over the place in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, as, as an expression of the favor of God. So, for example, Psalm 31 verse 16. So now it's David who says, Lord, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Make your face shine on your servant. Psalm 31. Or if you flip a bunch of pages later in the Old Testament to the book of the prophet Daniel, Daniel 9, says this, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Daniel chapter 9. And here too, we can acknowledge the flip side. If the shining of God's face is the beautiful expression of his favor, well then, also in the Bible, the hiding of God's face is the expression of curse. And you get that in Deuteronomy 31. When when God is warning his people that he reserves the right to withdraw his favor from them, Deuteronomy 31, God says this, I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. There's just something about this. And don't you know that even in human relationships and human interaction, there's just something about being face-to-face, especially in person, but even, dare I say it, over Zoom, to be able to see someone's face And especially to be able to see a brightness, a shining, a smile. The way that communicates favor and delight and care. No wonder it's right here in this benediction. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And then we keep going. Still in verse 25, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And then he says this. And be gracious to you. So there, to be gracious to you, that's the same idea now just without the image, right? To show you his favor, a favor that you do not deserve. Be gracious to you. Keep going. Verse 26. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. There's the imagery of his face again. That he lift up his countenance upon you and see you. And not just see you in the sense that he's aware that you're there, but that he see you with eyes full of love. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And then finally this, and give you peace. And give you peace. 
which isn't just the last thing that's mentioned in the blessing, though it is that. It also has a kind of culminating, wrapping up feel to it. Because peace, especially in the Old Testament, the word shalom, that's everything. That's it. In fact, it meant, the word meant completeness, wholeness. So it's built into the benediction, may the Lord give you peace. May he show you his favor in such a way that you feel that with his people around you, that completeness, that wholeness, that shalom. The Lord give you peace. So there's the blessing. Bit by bit, we've just walked through it. We're not told precisely here in this passage when Aaron and his sons were supposed to pronounce this blessing. Our instinct is to assume that this is the kind of thing that they would have pronounced at the conclusion of some service or sacrifice at the tabernacle and then the temple. And that's a biblical instinct because over and over again in the Old Testament... When blessings are pronounced, when benedictions are spoken, it happens at the end. It happens at the conclusion of some gathering of God's people. These words do have the feel of parting word. And then verse 27 is a sweet epilogue to this whole thing. Look at verse 27. Because here the Lord helps Moses and Aaron and the people to understand the significance of this benediction that was to be pronounced. Verse 27, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So here's this blessing that has God's name in it. And as it's spoken over the people, it's as if the people come to be stamped with that name. That name comes to be inscribed on them. Now, it's certainly true that the people of Israel were the people of God going way back. In a sense, they have been carrying the name of God all along. But over and over again, there were to be these regular, repeated renewals. Reminders. The people of Israel who, who bore the name of God, who, ha- who had that name as it were inscribed on them, well, just like us, they were prone to forget it. They were prone to forget who and what they were so that they needed to be reminded, oh, that's right, we're the people of God. Oh, that's right, we bear his name. Oh, that's right, his name has been inscribed upon us. And every time this benediction was pronounced, it would have had that effect. So shall they put my name upon them. And God says, and I will bless them. I will bless them. And that word at the very end, I will bless them, that makes all the difference. If it were just a mere human wish and nothing more, there's a certain uncertainty about it. So, for example, I can say to you, may the wind be always at your back. And I can say that to you because I truly want that for you. But I don't control the wind. And let's be honest, I don't know what 
the one who does control the wind is going to be pleased to do with it. For all I know, though I, though I wish you well, for all I know, in terms of your earthly fortunes, the wind's going to be in your face. And it's going to be strong. For all I know, the wind's going to blow your house down. See Job. Though I wish you well, I have neither power nor knowledge. But when the blessing is a divine word that comes with a divine blessing backing it up, that final phrase, I will bless them, then there's confidence and conviction. Which is another one of the reasons why this passage thrills our hearts the way that it does. It wouldn't thrill us quite so much if we thought it were just wishful thinking and we didn't know. But when we remember that this is a word from God that is, that is wrapped up with a, a promise from God, that's what makes all the difference. So you can just imagine what these words would have meant in Moses' day, in Aaron's day, and even throughout the Old Testament as this benediction was pronounced. So now... What does it mean in our day? What what does this mean for us as the people of God in 2023? Here are these wonderful words that so deeply resonate within our souls, but they are ancient words. We're left wanting a priest to pronounce these words over us. We want a priest. And brothers and sisters, we've got one. And I hasten to add... Not that you're tempted to think it, but it's not me. I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. I'm no priest. And no Christian minister is. You've got a priest, and the whole church around the world and throughout the ages has the same priest, and you know his name. His name is Jesus. And the New Testament makes that clear. Jesus is our priest. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament makes that very clear. Jesus is our priest. And that's why earlier in our service I took us to the end of Luke. Because I love that glimpse we get of Jesus, our priest. Listen to it again. Luke 24. Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands... He blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. That's our priest. That's our high priest blessing the church. And it, it is a glorious thing for us as Christians now to take the revelation of Jesus Christ that we get in the New Testament And to lay it over like this beautiful gold-colored transparency. To take that revelation and to lay it over number six in your Bible. And to read that passage again with Jesus in mind. Because when you go back to number six, you've got God telling the prophet to tell the priest to speak a word of blessing. All of that comes true in Christ. Because Christ is God, and Christ is the prophet of God, and Christ is the priest of God, and he's the word of God, and he is the living benediction. That's why it is so thrilling 
as Christians now, to read number 6, verses 22 through 27, with Jesus in mind. Even the benediction itself. The Lord bless you. He has, in Christ, every spiritual blessing is ours in Jesus. The Lord keep you. He does, in Christ. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Right? The Lord make his face to shine upon you. He has. In Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You talk about the divine smile. The Lord be gracious to you. He has been. In Christ. For in Christ we know the favor of God. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. He has in Jesus. The Lord give you peace. He has. By giving us the Prince of Peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How beautiful to read these words in numbers with Jesus in mind. And that's why the apostles of Christ, those men who uniquely held, beheld the glory of Christ from the beginning, they began to bless the people of God with that revelation. And so the apostles would greet the people of God with things like grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would begin to bless the people of God with things like the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. These benedictions that we have in the New Testament, those are numbers six come of age. In Christ, All of the ways in which the blessing of God is pronounced over us as, as a Christian church, they are numbers six come to fruition in history in Jesus. So I want to encourage you folks, take this to heart. This is one of our habits of grace, right? That's our theme in the sermon series. This is one of our weekly, churchly habits. Benediction pronounced every Sunday near the end of the service. So I, I, want, I want you to be encouraged today by stopping to think about the importance of that final word, that benediction. When the benediction is pronounced, there's more that's going on than just the end. In the same way that the call to worship at the beginning of the service isn't just a pious way of saying, let's get this started. So too, the benediction at the end of the service is more than just a pious way of saying, that's a wrap. The benediction matters. It has a place in the church's piety. It ought to have a place in yours. And, and it's tied to so many other aspects of our faith and our worship. The benediction, for example, is tied to the promise of God. Whatever the benediction happens to be that Sunday, and they vary from Sunday to Sunday, one way or another, that benediction 
will wish for you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just to hear that is to be reminded, yes, that's what God has promised. That's why you don't have to sit down at the end of the worship service having heard the benediction and wonder and worry, was it just wishful thinking? Because behind the word of blessing is the promise of blessing. So the benediction is tied to promise. It's also tied to prayer. Having heard that word of blessing, you're all the more encouraged then to go to God in prayer and say, Yes, Lord, make your face to shine upon me. It's tied to praise. Just to hear those words that God is a God of grace and peace in Jesus is to be reminded that He's worthy, that you praise Him for it. For that matter, it's tied to your baptism. When you were baptized, God, as it were, inscribed his name upon you. The name of our triune God. And you don't need to keep getting baptized again and again. But you do need to be reminded again and again that you bear that name. And when the benediction is pronounced, it reminds you of that. Oh, right. Right, we're the people of God. And I belong to this people. It's tied to your baptism. So in a host of ways, and we we could connect more lines, connect more dots, but you get the idea. So much more than just the end, service is over, have a seat. This is a word of divine blessing that's tied in all of these ways to different aspects of your faith. And then finally, I'll say this, and this drives the point home. Never forget who is the true and ultimate pronouncer of the benediction. This is something that we we bear in mind about nearly every aspect of the worship service. So, for example, the sermon. Yes, I'm the one who's preaching right now. But what have we said over and over again about the sermon, about preaching, insofar as the word is preached Faithfully, ultimately, it's not my voice you're hearing. It's the voice of your Savior. So it's true of the sermon. It's true of the Lord's Supper. Yes, I'm the one who will make my way over to that table, and I will administer the supper. You'll hear my voice, but ultimately, who's serving the supper? It's not me. It's Christ who spreads the feast and calls you to it. So this is true of so many aspects of the worship service. Well, the point is the benediction is no exception to that rule. Ultimately, it's Jesus himself who blesses the people. It's the Son of God who's putting the name of God upon the congregation. You will leave this place having had the divine name spoken over you once again, a name that you bear, and ultimately it is Jesus who will have spoken it. So when the time comes, even this morning, Near the end of our service, listen and believe. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that it's true that you've given us a priest, a high priest, faithful and sympathetic, and the one who blesses us. So we ask for grace 
Sunday after Sunday, when that benediction is pronounced, to hear his voice, to behold his face. And we ask this in his name. Amen.